0: And you're always balancing trying to use your gifts as a scholar and not get caught up in making a name for yourself. And it's never an easy thing. I mean, I think all of us want to be liked rather than disliked. So it's a challenge. But there's also a society can also be an opportunity for encouragement.
1: Welcome to Christ Overall. All podcast dedicated to seeing Christ as Lord and everything else under his feet. One of the things under his feet is the Evangelical Theological Society. Today, I'm in Denver, Colorado, with brothers from Christ Overall talking about this event, what it is, why it is here, why we're here, and how it impacts the local church. So brothers, why don't you introduce yourselves?
2: Steve Wellam, and I'm here in Denver with my brothers.
3: Ardell Cannaday, From Minneapolis, Minnesota.
0: This is Brad Green from Jackson, Tennessee at Union University as well as Southern Seminary.
1: And Trent Hunter from Greenville,
0: South Carolina
1: Heritage Bible Church. Amen. Well, you've heard all of these brothers on the Christ Overall podcast over these last few months. And today we get to be in the same room and talking about some of the things we have seen over these last few days. And so this will be a little bit different as we have a panel discussion about the evangelical theological society. We're going to begin by just asking the question, what is ETS? And where did it begin? Why did it start? What should we know? Well, ETS
0: was founded in 1949 in an interesting era of evangelical scholarship. Karl Barth was on the radar, and ETS was founded really as a Protestant society committed to biblical inerrancy. Its original doctrinal basis was the Bible alone, and the Bible in its entirety is the Word of God written and is
1: therefore inerrant In the autographs. We're going to talk a little bit about that founding and how it applies today. And maybe it'd be helpful to think about just what the goal of the ETS is. Ardell, you mentioned a little bit about the mission statement there. What's the purpose of
3: ETS? The purpose is stated to foster conservative biblical scholarship by providing a medium for the oral exchange and written expression of thought and research in the general field of theological disciplines as centered in the scriptures.
1: All right. So if that's the case, it's been going on for 70 plus years, coming up on its 75th anniversary in just a couple of years from now. And I guess I'd ask the senior scholars around the table, how long have you guys been involved with ETS? Well, I've been at ETS as a student in seminary, so
2: way back in the late 80s, but really getting involved in the mid 90s to the present day. Yeah,
0: Brad Green here, similar for me, mid-90s as a PhD student at Baylor, began to come to ETS meetings, both national and regional. An encouragement for me as a wannabe younger scholar.
3: Ardell Cannaday here. I was a student at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in 1989, and that was when my first attendance at ETS meetings began. Okay.
1: And so is ETS something that you have to go to if you're a professor or what what keeps bringing you back here throughout the years?
0: For me, as a Ph.D. student, it was just a great time of encouragement. The Ph.D. track can be a lonely one. I was at a Baylor, which isn't particularly evangelical. Many great things about Baylor, but isn't known as an evangelical center of learning. And so I keep coming back for the encouragement and the challenge. I find now as a 57-year-old, there's the joy of encouraging younger and mid-career scholars and folks who are just entering PhD programs. So I think there's a mentoring encouragement side to it at this part of my, uh, my career.
1: That's great.
2: Yeah, and ETS over the years, I mean, is not mandatory to go to, but to be part of theological education, it's a place where people are proposing ideas, setting up study groups, work through projects, develop books out of it. So it's a place where people are getting sharpened. It's almost like continuing education, for theology professors and you know biblical studies professors and teachers and maybe pastors who would come to want to learn so it's a place where we sharpen one another it's a place where publishers meet book contracts are given and fellowship and meeting people through the years so it's a networking it's continuing education and it's continuing to test various theological proposals and interact with one another and that's the purpose that it's served over all these years
1: It's great.
3: Ardell, anything you done? Yeah, the message these gentlemen have expressed the matter of encouragement, and that is one of the things that I have engaged in for over the years. Because as a student, I didn't really receive encouragement. What I have done throughout the years is try to be an encouragement to younger scholars, even when I was much younger than I am now. But I still do it to this day, and I find a great delight in it. My first foray into ETS was in 1989, and I presented a paper that I had submitted to Don Carson, D.A. Carson at Trinity in the New Testament, the use of the old, and it was well-received. In fact, I won the prize that year. Huh. That's great. The student prize. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And Trent, you
1: mentioned this is the first time you've been to ETS in a while. You're a pastor. pastor. Yeah. What, what have you, what's been encouraging for you? What brought you back this time?
4: Yeah, I was at ETS in 2008 when I was a seminary student at Southern, and ETS had been on my radar since my undergrad days, early 2000s. I knew that that's where a lot of the conversation was happening around openness of God in those days. And so out of ETS would come these journals and articles. So it's been this place I've wanted to get upstream for insight into some of the conversations that were trickling down into articles or commentaries. So as a pastor, I've got you know, a weekly sermon to preach, and people to care for. I can't be at everything. ETS is across the country. I've prioritized conferences that I can take my teams to, and then preaching workshops of the Simeon Trust. And this year, I decided to prioritize this, and partly because so many of my friends are here, old friends that are doing good academic work, some pastors, and professors. Even just thinking of 3 John, chapter verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth and I actually wanted to be in the room with my professors mm-hmm. so that I could have joy that they are walking in truth, to be encouraged by them and to encourage them. As I know, many of my professors and brothers and teaching posts have had a difficult few years. So I wanted to be on the ground at ETS this year for insight into the conversations that were being had in the academy, which affect me and which I'm participating in, but in a different place. Mm-hmm and for mutual encouragement with brothers that I love and have known for many years. I just finished a 45 minute conversation with one of my professors from Moody who invested in my wife and I when I was an undergrad student. And I think he and I both are eager to pick this up next year when I'm back.
1: That's really good. Yeah, so for me as well, I mean, just thinking about the kind of combination of being a pastor and then teaching adjunctly over the last 10 years or so, and certainly to your point, I mean, coming here is encouraging and illuminating to know what are the conversations that are in papers here that get put into books, that get put into commentaries, that get put into pastors' bookshelves and libraries, and then come into sermons. And so there's a whole stream that runs from ETS down to the pastor who's preaching to the congregation and certainly congregation should then care what's happening here, because if it isn't immediately impacting them, it will in two years, five years, 10 years, a generation to come. Well, even along those lines, ETS doesn't
4: need me, but I consider that I could be here to cheer on and encourage the right things Mm -hmm. because I am on the front lines with the word of God and I need good study
2: helps yeah
4: and i'm eager to see those continue serving me and my church in a way that isn't frustrating
2: but
1: helpful yeah that's really good
2: yeah and you also see at ets where things will go so you said i mean how you have papers given it gets turned into books it gets turned into commentaries but even the topics that are being presented have changed over the years, depending on what cultural issue is having to be addressed and then how people respond to it changes. So you'll begin to see where's the direction of evangelicalism in some sense. You're seeing that as you are here, you look at the past, compare it to then what's being presently said, and you'll have some sense if you carefully observe where things are
1: gonna go in the future. So to each of you, you guys have been here for the last few decades, What would be some of those trends that you have seen? What are some things that we would be helped by?
2: Well, over the years that I've been in ETS, we had open theism that had to be addressed and now it's not as much on the radar screen, even though it's still prevalent in our churches and society and it's still being written on. We're seeing, I think over the years, you would never have a whole lot of discussion on the LGBT issue and all that, that issue now, on culture, human sexuality, Mm -hmm. and various responses. And of course, in those responses, I think you see well-grounded biblical and theological responses and not so Mm -hmm. well-grounded. You then see where uh, they're reflecting the larger culture. So those are some major shifts. There's been major discussions between dispensationalists and covenant theologians. There's been wrestling with the doctrine of God. I mean, all of those issues uh, are there. And particularly over the years, recently, we're seeing a lot of the cultural factors come in justice issues mm-hmm. climate issues mm-hmm. you don't see it a lot but you're seeing people that are trying to address it and so it's giving us a barometer of where things are at
1: yeah i think one of the sessions was on climate yeah. uh, this time yeah so you may not think that is one of the things that would be at the front of what's being talked about especially the whole theme this time has been holiness but among the smaller sessions one of them had to do with climate yeah uh, what would you guys have?
0: Steve said it well. I Probably I would say issues related to justice issues, cultural issues, how to engage those, how to not engage those. And those aren't going away anytime soon. So ETS at its best provides an opportunity to come work out these ideas, work out a paper, get that paper done, present what you're doing, and um, try to take a stab at thinking well about those kind of issues. I don't think those issues are going away. Anytime soon. Yeah.
1: And even for Christ overall, it helps us to think about what's at the forefront sure. that we need to be sure. thinking about, writing about in the days to come. Yeah. Ardell, for you, on things that you have seen over these
3: years, or maybe just even some of the personal relationships that have been important for you throughout the time. Yeah, I found it interesting that 30 years ago, there was a major discussion of dispensationalists and progressive dispensationalists Mm -hmm. that was just beginning. Mm -hmm. And yesterday we were in a session in which that was still a very hot and current topic. So that not all dispensationalists have been convinced by the progressive dispensationalists. It's a very, uh, it's a discussion that is very much alive today. And so as I've watched over the 30 years, I see certain issues being recycled. This is an issue that is being recycled, certainly within a new setting because of covenantal position and the progressive covenantal position, but nonetheless recycling. So what would you say to those younger students and maybe those who've just begun
1: to come to to ETS? Are there certain things that they should be aware of or are there things that we should learn from the generation that has gone before us? I mean, one of the things that we heard at the ETS banquet was D.A. Carson delivered a wonderful message on Isaiah six and holiness of God. Yeah, I mean, Ardell's observation is very, very true. And I think the point is that
2: things do cycle and we have to be very careful that we don't pick up a fad. Hmm. Right. And then we just reinvent the wheel all over again. So the way you avoid that is you know the past, so you know what's already come down the pike. And that's the benefit of having older scholars Mm -hmm. that have lived through this so they can tell younger scholars, hey, we've done this before. Let's think through how we thought through this before and we don't have to now go a whole new, brand new path and so on. Mm -hmm. So when you think of Don Carson, speaking at the presidential address here's a man who's now retired he's taught for decade, faithful minister of the gospel, writer, theologian, and so on. And what you see in him is something the younger generation, I think, needs to continually be reminded of. A man whose service in the church, service to the academy, has been grounded in godliness, real love for God's word, the centrality of the glory of God. He was speaking about the holiness of God, the centrality of the gospel. And if every generation doesn't pick this up, the gospel is eventually lost. Mm -hmm. And so even in a younger, Evangelical scholars, they can pick up sort of this is new information, new ideas, and they're really repeating the past. Mm. And they don't necessarily have the same centrality of God, the centrality of Christ, the centrality of the gospel. And we can drift pretty quickly. And so that was a good reminder of seeing Don Carson preach a message instead of just give a typical paper. He's actually opening up scripture and reminding us what we are about in terms of the glory of God and the centrality of the gospel. And that's a lesson that was actually conveyed through his practice and what he was doing in giving his message. So those are some of the areas that are really important, I think, to remember.
1: That makes me think of the first time I ever went to an ETS event. It was an ETS regional event at Bryan College. Yeah. I remember walking past the scholar who was on the phone and basically talking about how he was, you know, got applause for what he had done and how he's going to write something in the future. And, you know, it was just a snippet. And so certainly, you know, can't make a value judgment there. But it just reminded me that it's like, ultimately, the, the academy is not just for the academy, but it has to be the academy for the glory of God. Carson's just such a great example of that along the way. Yeah. One, one,
3: of, the, one of the factors that I observed early on and admittedly, I was a little older than most PhD students at the time. So I at least was chronologically more mature. I observed this, and I've observed it pretty much throughout the 30 plus years that I've attended Evidentical Theological Society meetings. And it's this that pride is lurking very closely to all of us mm-hmm. as we present. And I would go home after the meetings and i would feel like i needed a thorough spiritual bathing yes because it it just seemed to be like i was bumping into egos competing with one another for applause Mm. and for validation and young scholars need to guard very much against seeking applause and validation as we had to do they need to do it as well I can't help but think
4: of a passage in 3 John, where my Bible is open right now, where he's encouraging his readers to be fellow workers for the truth. So there's a, a fellowness of a, you know, working for the truth, not for oneself. But then by way of contrast, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority and whose authority is that but the apostle's authority. So at its best evangelical scholars and EPS will be a coming together of those who are fellow workers for the truth, not to put themselves first among each other, but to serve the truth and to put themselves. And so it's a fellowship of working together to put ourselves under the authority of the apostles at its best.
1: So Trent, how well do you think we do that? When I say we, you and yeah. I are the 40 somethings oh, uh, yeah. in, in the room here with, you know, brothers who are a little bit more mature than we are. Uh, are we doing well at that in the 40 somethings, the 30 somethings, looking up to brothers ahead of us? Or how could we do that well? Yeah. I mean, put it this way yeah. I find myself at 40, an
4: expositional preacher, working very hard to think in biblical categories and from the Bible up. I'm a very limited person. And I can get things wrong. But I've been given a method. And a way of understanding church and pastoring and bible work that i pray and think is sound so then it's for me to honor what i've received and then to hand that down i mean i pray that i'm faithful and that we can hand this down to faithful men and it's going to be handing down the apostolic word the gospel and the work of preaching to build the church up and to see god do his work in the world so it's staying out of the way it's being a servant of the word and of the church first. And Don Carson, we've been talking about him as an example of
0: this. Yeah, it's so, really good.
4: been around the table,
0: too. A few minutes ago, we were talking about older, younger scholars and the like. And yes, it's nice to have a book contract. It's nice to publish and, and all that. And you're always balancing trying to use your gifts as a scholar and not get caught up in making a name for yourself. And it's never an easy thing. I mean, I think all of us want to be liked rather than disliked. So it's a challenge. But there's also a society can also be an opportunity for encouragement. And so I gave a paper several years ago on a theme. I look out in the audience and there's Vern Poitras. Okay. (laughs) Now, I knew Vern Poitras knew a lot more about this. Than I did. But afterwards, Vern, he, may I talk to you for a minute? And he, I think he acted like I, I wouldn't know who he was, right? So we went out. So we probably talked 10 or 15 minutes. and He was just encouraging. And so I've read his books, and those have influenced me. But that 10 or 15 minutes of one of, frankly, some I admire very much, investing in me, that's what a Christian scholar should do in a society like this, is you're not just making a name for yourself, but it's, yes, you trot out your scholarship, you go for it, but then you look for others who might need encouragement and you pull them aside and say, that was great, you might think about this. And that's, I think, a society at its best.
1: If I can turn the conversation a little bit, I don't know if it would be surprising to some who are not familiar with ETS, but ETS has two pivotal doctrinal statements. Inerrancy, Scripture, going back to the very beginning, and then the Trinity would be the other key point that is there. With those things, it gives a really broad range of different traditions, different disciplines, different things that are there. Are those sufficient? There's been conversation about maybe adding something more to that. How would you guys reflect on that? How has ETS thought about those two pieces as being the boundary markers for the Evangelical Theological Society? The question of whether it's sufficient depends on ultimately,
2: I think the purpose of the society. So that when it originally started, the inerrancy statement basically separated a conservative evangelical Protestant Orthodox theology from more of its liberal version. So you wouldn't join the society if you didn't, you know, hold to a robust theology. Now in that founding, most of the people were probably of a more common theological convictions. That's changed over the years. And so that's a bit of difficulty of having even more diversity than probably was there in the beginning. The Trinity statement was added later, just to shore up to make sure somebody could hold to inerrancy, but they may deny the Trinity. So to make sure we're Christian sense of the doctrine of the trinity and the authority of scripture for the purpose of the society in terms of broad scholarship that's probably enough so that if one is holding to both of those you're going to still get an evangelical you're going to get a protestant Basically, I guess you could have a Roman Catholic with firm inerrancy and so on, but you're going to have the purpose of doing wider scholarship. If you want to do more specific scholarship tied to denomination and churches, then obviously you would have to tighten it more because you can't let everybody in on just those two doctrinal areas.
0: Yeah, so the, you summarized it well. The, the first doctrinal basis was inerrancy. The second clause was added on the Trinity. And I have many Roman Catholic friends, but certainly there is no reason a Roman Catholic couldn't be members, and we have had that in the society. I saw a Roman Catholic friend earlier y- oh. yesterday who just given a paper. And uh, so 15 years ago, there was this motion to amend the doctrinal basis to include language of justification and the like. So it is worth asking if we're in the evangelical theological society. It's not 1949. And would it be wise to say, can we at least affirm we all believe in sola fide or Mm. something like this? Because that's the older, I think, better essential of what it means to be an evangelical and so i think it's an open question whether the doctrinal basis as it stands will satisfy and
1: be enough in the years to come and so you guys know how ets works is there a place where that conversation could happen or if there was what what kind of mechanism would lead to that conversation it's
0: it, yeah, there's bylaw, there's opportunities for bylaw changes, and it would need to happen in a business meeting, submitted in a timely manner, in written form, et cetera. And so the society has an inbuilt system for changes to, to the various bylaws, et cetera. Yeah, a member of good standing could do that.
2: I mean, Brad's point is well taken because in 1949, uh, inerrancy and then eventually the Trinity you didn't have Roman Catholics thinking of joining the society. I mean, mm-hmm. they were not even on the radar screen. You do have that situation that's possible today. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, to call it evangelical. It may be wise to add maybe something else that would actually distinguish. And of course, justification would do that mm-hmm. from the Roman Catholic Church. So that could be a good additional point to keep it evangelical and not just broadly Catholic Christian type of thing. Yeah.
1: So maybe not speaking directly to ETS on this, but things that you've seen in trends recently and certainly with the the broadness of ETS, you kind of get a sense of where things are going. Are there any subjects or things that people should be aware of or places that they need to be seeing how things are being written or just fads that are concerning or we should be aware of today? Well, I'll just list a couple and then we'll let the other guys say some more.
2: I mean, one, the effects of the culture. So you're seeing how people are responding to that. So, you know, the sexuality, climate issues, justice issues and so on. So that's something that uh, is being addressed. And then we have to decide whether it's being addressed well. In the area of systematic theology and Christian theology, there's a lot of discussion on going back to historical theology, retrieval, the role of Thomas Aquinas, that's now a big discussion, classical theism, which comes from the whole history of the church, early church and so on. So how that fits with those formulations, should we go back to them without also saying, yes, we need to learn from the past and correct them by scripture. That's a whole discussion that's going on presently that's a little different than you've seen over the years.
0: I think Steve summarized it well. I think the central issues are human sexuality and anthropology. Those are, I think, the um, issues that are most challenging. I think if you would have asked almost any person, ETS, 20, 10, 20 years ago, do you think Today's hot button issues would be those. I'm not sure if we would have foreseen quite all this. So I think those, and I think that the the Thomism issue is a big one. I think that's going to be a really interesting debate, discussion at ETS for a while. Is he the golden mean for the future of evangelical theology? And so I think you'll have that kind of discussion here. And I think it's a discussion we should
1: have. Brad, if you would, for someone who hears Thomism, what is that getting back to, and what are some of the, the sides sure, sure. on that? Well, to keep it brief,
0: Thomas Aquinas, so the middle 50 years of the 13th century, I think the key issue is going to be in our knowing. Do we kind of start with just the natural light of reason, or should we be more Augustinians, where Christ must illumine every act of knowing? And, and do we need—should we have Thomas's friendliness to Aristotle— or should there be more of an antithesis between Christian theology and our appropriation of philosophy? So that's just a brief nutshell. Yeah. But it kind of unmasks what does it mean to be evangelical? What are our sources? And do we need to really jump on the Thomas train to be good theologians? So... These are big questions.
1: Brad, you've just given me a vision of Thomas a train.
0: I said it first. I want credit.
1: (laughs) When when Christ overall addresses Thomas, we will have a train. It will be awesome.
2: Well, and one other issue to add, I think we are seeing, which we're seeing in the larger culture, where a lot of sessions on justice, the state, lessons from history for church-state relations, public theology. And of course, we're seeing this in the larger discussion of nationalism, Christian nationalism. So it's showing up here at ETS and this is gonna to have to be something addressed further. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, and that'll be one of the reasons why we continue to come back here. We're actually sitting in the room that we met with some guys last night who were interested in Christ overall, and hopefully we'll continue to have a presence here in the times to come. Let me wind down our time with a couple questions, one to to Trent and then to our our scholars as well. Why should a pastor come to ETS? Well,
4: it all depends on his priorities. He needs to have the budget to get all the way to ETS. And as long as he's got the ability to get away from church and his family while doing everything else he needs to do, ETS is a great place to be. So for me, we've circled around to the word encouragement a few times, each of us independently. So when I was scratching out some notes, for this conversation. Encouragement was a big word, that I would be encouraged to find my brothers faithful and by the kinds of subject matter and scholarship they're investing themselves in, and that I'd be able to encourage old friends in the same. So, you know, pastors need to find their way to their denominational meetings locally, more nationally, and those take time. And there may be other kinds of places they get, but ETS is something that could be considered. And for my purposes, I'm gonna be prioritizing this in the years to come. So encouragement would be the big word. The second word would be insight. We chatted a little bit about that, getting upstream to be on the ground where some of the conversations that are happening that you're reading about and receiving the product of downstream in your reading as a pastor.
1: That's good. Free brothers professors and scholars thinking about somebody who is maybe a seminarian coming to ETS for the first time or maybe just young in their academic career. How do they do that well? So if they've never been here before and they're coming for the first time, what should they encounter or expect? How can they make wise use of the time? I
3: would advise them to learn from what we might say now so that they don't have to learn the hard way like we did. When a young scholar comes, the inclination is to go to as many papers as humanly possible Go to the book room and purchase as many books as one's allowance provides, and then, if you have time left over, talk to people. Wise people who attend ETS meetings invert the entire thing. They go to see friends, and one of the important reasons why you go to see friends and converse with them is to know that you're not alone um, in ministry. Yeah, and then you go to the book room to purchase books if your budget allows for it. <laughs> and then you go to a few papers that are, are a really significant moment. Yes, yeah, that's good advice..
0: I I would simply say to the senior mid and senior folks, look around you for that lonely 25-year-old who's maybe isn't connected and reach out and encourage. Or if someone comes up and wants to talk, don't brush them off. But I think there's a moral responsibility for the mid and senior scholars to encourage because those guys can be the ones writing books and preaching and teaching for many years. I'd say for younger folks, yeah, jump in there, enjoy it, go introduce yourself to someone that you've read. And build those relationships and those come back to bless you mightily over the years.
2: And to add to that, when you come as a younger person, always, always remind yourself that you're only coming here to learn because you want to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. You want to serve Him. It's very easy, as already been mentioned here, for pride to increase, to think yourself something. That's the wrong attitude in coming. You should come to learn so that you grow in the knowledge of Christ. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Brothers, this are wise words. Trent, you look like you have one more thing you want to say. Yeah, we have the dates
4: and the locations for the All upcoming right. years. So, 2023, it's November 14th and following, San Antonio, theological anthropology will be the focus. 2024, November 20th and following, San Diego, global evangelicalism. 2025, November 18th, and following. Boston, Massachusetts, Creedal Christianity, so we can all put them on our calendars and do our best.
1: You're here. Very good. Well, brothers, thank you for both your encouragement in my life and uh, the work that you've done for Christ overall and for our conversation today. Uh, thank you to our listeners for uh, tuning into a, a new podcast from Denver, Colorado where it is snowing outside. Look forward to ETS when it might be in warmer climates at some point, but it's been a glorious time uh here together. And uh, if you're interested in more on engaging evangelicalism, well, that's what we focused on in the month of November. You can find articles from all these brothers there this month. And uh, until next time, remember that Christ is Lord over all, so in all things. Let us exalt Christ.
0: Amen.